Red Rocks Church, how we doing, guys? You doing good? You look great? Let's do this. Give away two winks to somebody you don't know. And then you may take a seat. <laughs> hey, my name is Doug Weckenman. If I haven't met you, I would love to. So please come and say hi. At Red Rocks, like Ethan said, we are imperfect people doing our best to pursue a perfect God. And we believe, according to the Bible, that every human being is made to do four things. Experience God, find family, discover purpose, and then go and lead. And our community exists to help as many people as possible do that. And so, welcome to Red Rocks. Welcome home. Can you guys get a little rowdy for me for just a second and make some noise and say hi to everybody watching this online? And all of the amazing men and women at our three God Behind Bars campuses, can we show them some love also? My goodness, do we love you. Welcome home. Really quick, next week is gonna look a little different, but in a good way. It's gonna be a special weekend of church. You're not gonna wanna miss it, so get registered and be here. But as far as today goes, we are in our final week, week three of our series, Thick Skin, Soft Hearts, Can't Lose. And so let's get our Dylan Panther spirit on right now. Help me out. Thick Skin, Soft Hearts, Can't Lose. I love that. My wife and I are two weeks away, three weeks away from baby number two. Nay, thank you. I appreciate, I did so much. Thank you. I should say, namely, my wife is two weeks away from having baby number two. And it's either going to be, we're, we're old school, we don't know the gender, we like to be surprised, keeps it fun, either little Timmy Riggins Weckenman or little Tammy Taylor Weckenman, but not little Julie Taylor Weckenman, just to be crystal clear on who my least favorite character is on that TV show. That just, oh man, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I'm sure the actress who plays her is an amazing human being, but it's just, okay, look at this screen really here. I'm gonna put a graph up here. Okay, here's, we, we've been using this for this series. This, this axis, the x-axis, represents the thickness of your skin. Last week, Ethan gave a very practical message on how to grow thicker skin and become somebody who is, who is difficult to offend. Today, we're gonna to look at this axis, the y-axis. This represents the health of your heart, a soft heart. Today, we're gonna to get practical about learning how to cultivate a healthy heart. Right here, you could call this your soul. You could call this the inner person. You could call that your substance or your character. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart. I feel like I've got a sinking suspicion this has kind of been hijacked by the Christian dating circle. Guard your heart from jerks and heartbreak. And absolutely, that's true. But today I'm gonna ask the question, okay, what about gossip? And what about comparison? And what about bitterness and self-righteousness? Things that will poison your soul and your heart way faster than a bad breakup. Guard your heart because it's all you got for everything you do flows from it. Our culture cares about the image, but God looks at the heart. And in the day and age, in the era of the projected image, we need more Christians with a purified substance. That's what this series is about. The goal is as we get older, individually and corporately, as we move forward as a church, as life happens, as the world is unfair, and as you experience pain, that rather Rather than becoming wounded, 
rather than becoming victims or jaded or hating people, that we would get thicker skin and softer hearts, that we, as life happens to us, would get tougher to offend and better at loving people at the same time. Why? Because thick skin, soft hearts can't lose. So if you have your Bible, pull that out. Who has an actual Bible here? Where are my real Christians at? I'm preaching to you guys. That's where the anointing is. Ryan, I notice you still, you don't have one. It's all right, man. Don't worry about it. We're gonna go 1 Samuel 18, if you wanna get there. Um, we're gonna look at two men, David and Saul. Both in their time would become the king of Israel. However, one of them finished his life with a very soft heart and very thick skin. And the other one finished his life with very thin skin and a very hard heart. And by investigating one story, I think it's gonna reveal to us a lot of reasons why. So here we go, 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse five. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, so this was, this was right after David killed Goliath. Saul saw something in him, and so he hired David to be, part, to be a general in his army. So whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. Everybody loved David. This pleased all the troops and all of Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel. So this is when Israel is in a war with, Phil with the Philistines. The women came out in all the towns of Israel to meet Saul with singing and dancing. So everybody's partying, celebrating these victories with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. If you're a timbrel player, Red Rocks Worship could use you. I don't know what that is, but sounds cool. As they danced, they sang these lyrics right here. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was really angry when he heard that. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can this kid, this kid get but the entire kingdom or my job? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Of course he did. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house, in the palace, while David, who was a musician in the palace, was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. And he hurled it at David, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David, somebody say, but David. But David eluded him twice. So once again, we're gonna call this Thick Skin, Soft Hearts, Can't Lose, part three. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We humble ourselves right now. We're not just doing church. We're not trying to manufacture a moment. Without you, we got absolutely nothing. So we ask for you, have your way in this space and in our hearts. Be invited here and speak to us because we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, do you suffer from road rage? 
I'm gonna start this message with that question. You can be honest, we're in church. Do you suffer from road rage? Some of you are like, no, I enjoy road rage. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna tell you a story, but our agreement is you don't judge me. I feel like I've started a lot of stories recently with that balancing statement right there. You can't judge me for this, but you have to know this about me. I'm not a road rage guy. I've never on purpose cut somebody off while driving. I've never flipped anybody off while driving. You're like, well, when do you flip people off? Only, only Ethan and Ryan, but just to be funny, okay, relax. <laughs> Sam, my beautiful wife over here, about 10 years ago, she lived in LA where everybody has road rage. And when a guy pretty much ran her off the road, she was like, she, she kind of sort of flipped him off and then she cried because she did that. And she told me that story and I'm like, that's how you know you don't have what it takes to be an angry driver. There's no crying in road rage. You flip them off and you mean it. Guys, I've never done that. I, I give you my word, I've never even honked my horn while driving, okay? You need to know that about me for what I'm about to tell you, okay? A few years ago, it was a summer, sunny Sunday afternoon, I was joyriding with the windows down in my car, probably listening to worship because I'm a pastor. It definitely wasn't the, the Bieber purpose album. And I was praying for my wife, if I remember correctly, just so enamored with God and distracted by him. So this is his fault. And I put on my blinker and I gently start merging into the left lane until I hear the guy who was in my blind spot, he honks at me. And I immediately correct it and go, oh my gosh, crisis averted, all is well in the world. I stick my hand out the window to wave at him as if to say, hey bro, my bad, okay? But here's what this guy does. He floors the accelerator to pass me, which I, I get it, it's not every day you get to pass a 2015 Chevy Cruze on the road, okay? <laughs> but on his way past me, he gives me the most passionate middle finger I've ever seen in my life and yells something that I can't repeat in church. And so I'm praying for this guy and we pull up to a red light and of course we pull up right next to each other. And at this point in the story, I'm still trying to be Jesus in this story. And so we're in earshot of each other and so I look at him and I said, I really did, I say this, I go, bro, hey man, that was my bad. I was being an idiot, wasn't paying attention. Don't let that ruin your day, my bad. Thinking we were gonna have like an adult conversation. I was wrong about that. He looked at me and he did it again. And then he yelled something even worse. Okay, and so now something in my spirit starts shifting. I am not a road rage guy, but I can be very influential with words for better or for worse. I'm not proud of this. Do not judge me for this, okay? But I look at this guy and I very calmly, that probably made it worse, very calmly said, hey bro, is it possible you hated your life before today and that's what this is really all about? And he says nothing, rolls up his window, looks straight ahead, and I swear I saw a tear. And I just felt God sarcastically in that moment like, way to go. Glad you did that. You feel better? I'm trusting you with bigger and better things, buddy. That's for sure, right? <laughs> 
Don't do that if you have a Red Rock sticker on your car. <laughs> I, I'm not telling you that story so I can make a point about how I got this guy, right? I'm actually, I, I tell you that story for the opposite reason. Life happens, okay? It happens. And if I'm not careful, if you're not careful, our reactions to stuff, our actions, our thoughts, and our words that go unchecked over the years will add up. And if you're not careful, you might just find yourself one day at the very end of your life with a very hard heart. Not really liking people, a victim at the world, a critic, a cynic, and difficult to be around. David and Saul both shared the exact same calling to be the king of Israel. David is a case study in how to finish your life with thick skin and a soft heart. But Saul is about to reveal to us how three enemies of your heart, comparison, which leads to bitterness, which leads to self-righteousness, slowly begin to poison your soul and harden your heart. So what I wanna do, I wanna talk about these three enemies of your heart. The first one is going to be comparison, okay? And then I wanna give you a three-word phrase that healthy hearts should be in the habit of saying all the time. So the first enemy that we're gonna see is comparison. Here's the phrase that healthy hearts are in the habit of saying, I am chosen. I am chosen. Now, right now, not audibly, not out loud, I want you to just kind of say that to your soul. I am chosen. And I want you to feel the security that those three words bring to you. Because here's what I can tell you. You are chosen. Every person in this room has a universal calling to look more and more like Jesus with each passing year. But you also have a unique calling to be unlike anybody else God has ever made. God really did break the mold when he made you. He looks at you and calls you his masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made. He looks at you and goes, nailed it when I made you. But not only that, not only has he uniquely made you and graced you, but he's also uniquely placed you exactly where you are right now. You are chosen, and that's a big deal. So no, you're not just a junior at UT. You're here to show us what it would look like if Jesus were a college student in Austin, Texas. And no, you're not just a nurse. You're here to show us what Jesus would look like taking vitals and giving flu shots. You are chosen for such a time as this, Christian, and that's a really big deal until you compare it to somebody else. That's why Hebrew says, run your race. That's why Paul would say, fulfill your ministry. You only get one life. God's given you just one, one race, one lane. Are you running it passionately with your eyes fixed on Jesus or not? And I hate to be that guy, but I'll just, I'll be the culprit here. The biggest enemy of me doing that is an hour on Instagram a day. And we're not the technology's bad, let's go throw our iPhones in Lake Travis kind of church, okay? Technology is neutral, 
and we're trying to use it for as much good to make heaven more crowded as much as we can, as much as we can possibly do here, okay? And I know that we know this, but I also like don't know that I know that we always know this, all right, that we, we compare our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reels and we run our races like, like that. And I'm just here to tell you, if you feel an ordinariness to your life, that means you're human like everybody else who's posting their highlight reels, okay? Following Jesus with a soft heart running your race has a tiny bit, like a tiny bit to do with the postable moments and a lot to do with the everyday decisions that nobody will ever see you make and all the the days that seem mundane and the, the weeks and the years and the seasons of following Jesus and running your race when there's no sunset and no feet in the sand. Look at Saul, you guys, he was, he was chosen, man, for a lot of good reasons. He was a good leader. God blessed him, anointed him, and appointed him. And Saul started his race running like this, eyes fixed on God. But then all of a sudden, to the left and to the right, and I'm just, if you, if you run your race like this, I'm just, I'm prophesying a crash at some point in your future. Meanwhile, in a pasture not too far from the palace, a young man named David was running with his eyes fixed straight ahead on God with his whole heart, undistracted by other people's opinions and problems. And it wasn't long after that that he would go and kill Goliath and then Saul took notice and hired him into his army And then David's winning all of these battles. Everybody loves him. And fast forward to 1 Samuel 18, back to where we started. Saul's in his palace and everybody's partying and celebrating the fact that Israel has been winning battles. And then all of a sudden, Saul hears these ladies singing a song. Saul's killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul goes, whoa, 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 hold up just a second. Turns his head like this, and Saul is about to become a case study for us in how comparison is the beginning of the end for your healthy heart. So I learned this from Robert Madu about the original Hebrew language, that these ladies actually weren't comparing Saul to David at all. They were just using a literary technique to make a point by exaggerating the second number. That's all they were doing. We do that today. It's like if I were to say, you guys, Ethan is so good with his finances that he has hundreds and tens of dollars. I wouldn't say that. I would say this, and shout out to FPU groups. I would say, you guys, Ethan has Dave Ramsey'd his finances so well Check this out. He has hundreds and thousands of dollars. I don't even know if that's true. I just know he's really good with his money. Ethan, you'll get a raise one day. But it's not this day. It is not this day. Keep running that camera. You're crushing it. 
all right? I'm just making a point by exaggerating the second number. That's all that was happening here. These ladies weren't comparing Saul to David. Here's what was going on. They were saying, Saul's killed a bunch of Philistines. David's killed a bunch of Philistines. We're just glad they're all dead. (laughs) So we're throwing a party. But Saul lacked the wherewithal to guard his heart from comparison. What he should have done, he should have celebrated in that moment. I'm chosen. I'm the king of this kingdom. And I'm crushing it because I'm delegating power and authority and hiring younger guys who are also crushing it. And when they win, I win. When David wins, our kingdom wins. But he couldn't do that. He had a scarcity mindset that a lot of us live with, where for some reason, if she gets the promotion or she gets married or he gets the job, for whatever reason, I feel like there's one less blessing out there for me as if we serve a God who has a finite number of them. It's called a scarcity mindset. Not in the kingdom of heaven do you get away with that. We live in a kingdom that is here now that that operates under a mindset of abundance, that our God can do exceedingly and abundantly more, has has an infinite number of blessings, and a win for you is a win for me, and vice versa. If you win, then I can celebrate with you genuinely in my heart, be happy for you. I remember uh, in 2011, Ethan and I lived in Laguna Beach and we did youth ministry for a year. And uh, that was back when we were insecure, totally not anymore. But we were preaching sermons. I have, he's gonna laugh. (laughs) We were preaching sermons to 12 to 15 junior hires. We were so bad at it, you guys, so bad at it. And I gave a message on a Tuesday night to 15 12-year-olds, and it was 56 minutes long, not a single joke or story, because at the time we were both like, it's the word of God, it should be enough on its own. And I would preach everything I've ever learned about God, which means they got nothing, because they're like, I I don't even want to be here, I just want to surf. What I share, that sermon should have been 15 minutes long, 12 minutes of funny stories, and then one point for the last three minutes for them to remember. It was so bad. And then Ethan the next week got up and did the exact same thing. But I remember thinking, like, I would almost be a little threatened if I ever saw Ethan or Ryan give, like, a good sermon. Because I would think, oh, I know that's good. I'm, I'm pumped for him. Oh, but what does that say about me? Until 2012, we traveled the world and did mission stuff for an entire year. And I'll I'll just sum that trip up by saying this. We ate nothing but humble pie with each other for an entire year. So I'm not quite sure where that shift happened in all of our spirits, but following 2012, I remember coming to some Orion sermons and going to visit the church Ethan was working at and watching him preach, and I'd watch my friend crush it, and all I would do is think, I'm so freaking proud of my brother and my friend for doing what he's called to be doing right now, and when he wins, I win. It's a kingdom of heaven mindset. When you win, we win. But Saul couldn't do that. Why? Because comparison seeped in. You go from running this race, eyes on Jesus, alongside other people with their callings in their lanes, uniquely knit together in their mother's wombs as well, running their race, to all of a sudden we're looking to the left and to the right. I'm prophesying a crash 
when you do that. It's about to happen for Saul because we're about to see the case study how comparison is the beginning of the end for a healthy heart because it leads to enemy of the heart number two, bitterness, bitterness or anger. So here is the three word phrase. Every healthy heart should, should make a habit of saying that right there. I forgive you. I forgive you. So I'll just say this. Bitterness is an addiction that hardens your heart with each passing year. Did you know your brain gets a dopamine hit when you're mad and starts to like feeling mad? Facebook uses algorithms to keep you scrolling, not by showing you things that make you happy, but by showing you things that make you mad. Because bitterness is a drug, and before you know it, you need more of it. And before you know it, it's not just enough for you to be right, now somebody else has to be wrong and you start to get hooked on the angry high that you get when you smoke the wrongs that are done to you, which is why turning the other cheek feels a lot like withdrawals because we miss the buzz of bitterness. And that's why this word right here, forgive, might as well be the real F word that I'm saying right now in church because how many know this is beautiful in principle until you have to actually go and apply it. So some of you are looking at me like, son, don't you even, you, you don't even know what I've been through, what's happened to me, and you know what? You are so right. I really don't. Just like you don't know me. Here's what I do know. It's not my opinion. Forgiving is not excusing. Forgiving is not always trusting again. Forgiving is freedom. It's kind of like heart surgery. So when somebody wrongs you or you experience pain or the world's unfair or even cruel, it's kind of like you're in the OR, you get thrown on the operating table, your chest gets cut open and your heart is exposed. And you know what that's called? A broken vessel. By the way, you know what God loves? Broken vessels. You know what God can transform easily? and use easily broken vessels. The question is when you're on that operating table and your heart's exposed, which medicine will you choose? Bitterness or forgiveness? I promise you, bitterness feels better. I promise you, bitterness is way easier. Saul chose bitterness and found himself a few days later throwing a literal spear at David, which we've all done, and we've all had that done to us. But then check out what David does in response. Apparently, David doesn't know what all of us know, what every human being knows that you're supposed to do when somebody throws a spear at you, because we all know you pick that spear up and you throw it back, right? But David didn't know that. David, you're supposed to pick the spear up and throw it back. Gene Edwards. And in performing this small feat of returning thrown spears, I love this so much. You will prove many things. That you're courageous. You stand for the right. 
You boldly stand against the wrong. You are tough and can't be pushed around. You will not stand for injustice or unfair, un unfair treatment. You are the defender of the faith and you will not be wronged. There is also a possibility that some 20 years later, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in all the realm. And also by then, like Saul, quite mad. And also by then, possibly with a very hard and dead heart that can no longer be hurt for the rest of your life. And in doing so, you will have given away the most important and valuable thing that you have. Why forgiveness? Because your heart's worth it. It's not worth giving away to the bitterness buzz. And I know that's way easier said than done. I'm not pretending this is easy. I'm just showing us what's real and how bitterness and forgiveness both affect our hearts. That's why we have to fix our eyes on the picture, the ultimate picture of forgiveness, which is Jesus on the cross forgiving. I mean, picture Jesus after 20 hours of being beaten and tortured, says, Father, forgive them as they drive nine inch nails through his wrist. Look at that picture. Is that pretty? Maybe now, but not at the time. Very painful at the time, forgiveness. The process is painful, but the product is peace. Peace is not a byproduct of security or success. Peace is a fruit of a soft and healthy heart with its eyes fixed on Jesus. That's why all we do in this room together is fix our eyes on Jesus and talk about him and sing songs about him. And I'm convinced there'll come a day our kids will grow up in homes and in a church where forgiveness is normal and bitterness is just weird. Everybody, just say that, not audibly, but just in your soul, I, I forgive you. When you can say that, Nails can't touch you even when they get driven through your hands. And spears can't touch you even when they go straight through your heart. I'm convinced the ability to forgive is the closest thing we have to being invincible. I forgive you. Maybe you've been wronged really, really bad recently. Maybe you're in a lot of pain. Maybe you just went through a horrible breakup. That's real pain. And look at me, God is not expecting you to be happy about that heartbreak. But if you're willing, you have an opportunity to enroll in his university of broken vessels. He has very few Christians that willingly attend because tuition is a high cost of humility and oftentimes pain. But what you graduate with is a heart that's more whole, happier and healthier than you ever thought could be possible. But it comes with asking for forgiveness and saying no to the drug called bitterness. I'm not pretending it's easy. I'm just saying the price is so high. I just don't know that we can afford not to. I forgive you. Because if you're not careful, soon bitterness will give way to enemy number three, self-righteousness. To which you would respond by saying this, I was wrong. A healthy heart makes a habit of speaking 
those three words right there, I was wrong. So there's a moment a few chapters before the story that we read where Saul sins, he disobeys God and he messes up and then Samuel calls him out, but Saul just tries to justify himself. The human heart is so good at justifying stuff. Saul just makes excuses and blame shifts. He follows in Adam's footsteps. He justifies himself. David, in time, will come to mess up far worse than Saul. If you ever, for whatever reason, feel like you've done too much or you've gone too far, that you're too much of a knucklehead, that God can no longer use you and no longer loves you, David is living proof of how wrong you are. And you should go read up on his story. The difference between David and Saul is what David did when he was confronted with it. He owned it. As much as a human can own what they did wrong. He fasts and repents for a week. He wrote Psalm 51 that week. He says, man, I've sinned before God. Translation, I was wrong. Those three words might be the fastest, easiest way to soften your heart. A few times in the gospels, Jesus actually gives us an equation that has to do with humility. And he says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And for evidence of that, go watch The Office season three, episode 16, and observe what happens to Michael Scott when he exalts himself at Phyllis's wedding. And I've told you guys this before, I'm a learn the, the hard way kind of guy. So if a waitress shows up with some fajitas and says, don't touch that plate, it's hot. My first thought is, yeah, well, we'll see. Psst, oh, dang it. She's right. That was hot. There's some things, it's just better to learn the easy way. This equation that Jesus just gives us is one of those things. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Perhaps the easiest way to walk with humility is to talk with humility. Perhaps the easiest way to talk with humility is by mastering saying those three words, I was wrong. I wonder when the last time you said you were wrong about something. Hey, I just want you to know I was wrong about what I did. I was wrong about what I said. Hey, remember when I, I said this or I posted that and I said this about God or, or that about politics? I want you to know I was wrong. My goodness, that is kingdom sexy, you guys. That is so countercultural to our world. You drop those three words in that order to our world and you will floor them. They won't know like how to categorize you. I bet if I did that more, I, 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 my marriage would get better. I bet your friend group would double in a month. I bet you'd be a better leader. I bet it'd be easier to follow Jesus. I bet you'd be way more likable because those three words are just an attractive quality. Anytime somebody has ever said, hey man, I was wrong. My gut reaction is just to give him a hug. Oh bro, we're all wrong, man, including me. I wanna be wrong with you. Here's 20 things I'm wrong about. Okay, think about this. Really, I want you to think about this this week. Every Christian believes something about God that's wrong. 
from every denomination, at every church, every theologian, every pastor, you, me, believes something about the creator of the universe whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours, that's wrong. Not different, wrong. Like how much should that thought alone right there just unify us and bring us together, right? You might believe something wrong about God that keeps you from seeing and loving yourself the way God sees you and loves you. And you believe something about God that puts you under the impression that you've gone too far or you're the one who has somehow shocked him with your ability to sin or he looks at you disgusted and you are so wrong. You're just wrong about you and about God. Okay, this is also true. You believe something about how the world works. That's wrong. I believe something about somebody in my life and it's wrong. You took a Polaroid snapshot of one bad moment in somebody's life and you, you pinned that Polaroid to the corkboard in your brain and you concluded this is their substance, this is who they are and you are wrong. Every educated American believes one thing, just give me one thing about politics, that's wrong. And if you can't give me one thing, I would just like, I would ask you, why, why can't you just give me one thing? Because surely you're not, you're not saying, I, if everybody believed like me and acted exactly how I always act, the world would be perfect. You're, you're talking to a pastor who's really passionate about politics. I think Christians should be. I'm just more passionate about cultivating a healthy and soft heart because I would love it if my passion was actually effective when talking to people who don't believe what I, what I believe, specifically people who don't know Jesus. Because like we said two weeks ago, the world needs truth, but you must set the table first with love to serve that truth or else you'll watch that truth fall powerlessly to the floor, ineffective. Like, man, if you give me one thing or else I would, I would just ask you, maybe you made God in your image and not the other way around. It makes you guidable by God. I got called on this by the big man upstairs a couple months ago. I was praying for guidance and I really strongly felt him say, hey buddy, don't ask me to guide you if you're not gonna be guidable. He can't guide a hard heart. It's not that he doesn't want to, he can't. The easiest way to be guidable, can you say I was wrong? I heard a pastor named Judah Smith say, just use your divine imagination and imagine just over the last 100 years alone, if every human being, if every mom, every dad, husband, wife, brother, sister, friend, president, pastor, leader, coach, who was ever wrong about something, just said, hey guys, my bad. That's on me. I could make excuses, but I'm not gonna. I could, I'm gonna own it and then some. You know who owned it when he didn't have to? Jesus. Man, how much division, how much divorce, how much pain would be avoided just to say, I was wrong. Saul couldn't do it. And he finished his life with a very hard heart and very thin skin. Self-righteousness will do that so fast. It'll get you to rank sin 
and see other sins of other people as worse than your stuff makes it very easy to start to be a Christian who once upon a time needed grace, but no longer needs Jesus. Church, the, the scariest thing in the world to be is not a sinner. It's somebody who, who thinks they, they don't need a savior. We don't need you always right. We want you always real. Self-righteousness will harden your heart so quickly. Can you say, I was wrong? Oh my gosh, it just feels like something releases when you say that. I, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. So there you have it. The three enemies of a soft, healthy heart. Comparison, bitterness, self-righteousness. I'll finish right here with this story. It was a few years ago in Denver. I was preaching a sermon at our young adult ministry in Denver. And I worked so hard on this sermon, you guys. I prayed so much for this sermon. Got up on stage, gave the sermon, and actually felt like really good about it. Walked off stage like, I crushed that. And then after, I'm talking to people in the auditorium just like this and got 99 compliments until I met Dylan. And Dylan came up to me, and I could just see it in his eyes. He was so mad about something. Came up to me, and he said, can we talk in your office? And I said, no, we can talk right here. And he introduced himself this way. And Dylan, this sermon is dedicated to you. I love you, man. He, he said, my name's Dylan. And my prof I'm, a, I'm a seminary student in Northern California, and my professor sent me to Denver uh, for two weeks to visit and critique churches and pastors. I was like, oh, great, okay, that's cool. Um, and, and for 20 minutes just spewed venom. Like he was so, I don't even remember like what it was about, but it was a spear that he threw that I was not invincible to. Like, it stuck me so good. I, I got, I was so angry. Didn't fight back, but I wanted in my flesh to like physically harm this guy, which I could have. I wanted to pick up three more spears and throw it back at him. I was just, I was like, you have no idea what this is doing to me right now. How vulnerable I am right now. How hard I worked on this. If, I, if this wasn't good enough, God, I can't do this because I can't do a better job this week than what I just did. And I got in my car and I drove home and I called Ryan. And he let me vent for a little bit and then he pressed paused and he said, he said, bro, you need to pray for Dylan. Which made me so mad at you when you said that. It's like, just give me this, man. Tell me that tomorrow. Just give me some bitterness tonight. Feels good. But he said, I promise you this about Dylan. He has a very hard-hearted professor who is discipling him and he doesn't know, and you need to pray for him, and you need to feel for him, and then he said this, you need to be on Team Dylan tonight. You need to be on Team Dylan tonight. I wonder that about you, your Team Dylan. What does that mean for you? You need to be on Team Dylan today, because that person that hurt you, that person that wronged you, has way more to do with them than it does with you, I think back to that guy I pulled up next to at that stoplight. I wanted to say so bad, hey, bro, uh, by any chance, do you hate your life? And that's what this is really all about. But if I know that to be true, which it probably is, then why would I say that? And why would I not pray for him if I know that to be true? 
and say no to bitterness and say yes to forgiveness. I'll enroll in the University of the Broken Vessels. Ryan said to me on the phone that night, he said, bro, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club of the thick-skinned and the soft-hearted. Oftentimes, there's few people who attend because the price is so high. It takes a lot of humility and oftentimes takes a lot of pain. So you might find yourself going in and out your whole life. He said, but this is, this is a club where there is good company, man. Welcome to the club of the thick skin and the soft hearted. Comparison is not worth it. You need to learn to develop that habit of telling yourself, no, I'm chosen. I, I have a, a universal calling to become more like Jesus, but I also have a unique calling to become unlike anybody else God has ever made. He only made one of me, so I'm gonna run my race with my eyes fixed on my king because I am chosen. And then say no to bitterness by saying yes to forgiveness. I promise you bitterness is easier. I promise you forgiveness will require a lot of pain because you're entitled to that drug called bitterness, which is why it's so hard to say no to it and so hard to forgive instead. But your heart is not worth giving away. Guard your heart with everything you got. It's the only one that you have. And it's everything. Everything you do flows from a, your, your heart. So it might as well be a soft and healthy one because you only get one. And say no to self-righteousness. Whatever you have to do, remind yourself. I remind myself this all the time. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I'm the most messed up person in the room. I'm making progress in my life, but I'm the biggest sinner in the room. If you can take that mindset, how fast self-righteousness will flee from you and stay away. No, 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 I, I'm wrong all the time. I was wrong about this, that, this and that. I, I'm, I'm the most messed up person here. How much more you will love and like the people that are around you all the time because you know, hey, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, this amazing grace. And I want as many people as possible to know this as well. God, would you raise up a generation of Christians who belong to the university of the broken vessels and are not afraid to pay the price of tuition, who belong to the club of the thick skin and the soft hearted so we can make some noise in this world and stand apart in a countercultural kind of way where they will will never be the same again because they see a group of people with hearts so healthy and a substance that is so purified and character that is so strong that it makes them wonder what it is we have that they don't. I wanna serve up truth, absolutely, but I'm gonna spend 90% of my time setting a table of love with a soft heart, a healthy heart that worships easily, that loves God, and get to the end of my life in this quadrant with thick skin and a soft heart, amen? Would you guys stand?